Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this evening. Lord, it is so good to, to gather together and to sing your praises and to focus our attention on you. And Lord, in that, in our gratitude for all that you have done for us. Lord, we stand, we stand forgiven. We stand redeemed before you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the, the power of your word in our lives as we gather here together now to, to study your word. We, Lord, ask again that as we do, that you, would, that you would speak to us. Meet us, Lord, each where we are. We all are, have arrived here in the middle of our week, but Lord, many of us are, are dealing with a lot of things, uh, a lot of different things, a lot of varying things, but Lord, you know all of the details, you know everything, and your desire through your word is to minister to us. So Lord, we ask you have that, that work in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles with me and open them up to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. Bring you up to speed if you're just joining us. A quick review if you've been going through the study with us. The children of Israel are now in the promised land. They crossed over the, the, the Jordan River while it was in its flood stage. The Lord backed it up. They crossed over on dry land and we spoke. We talked last week, their first battle, their first thing that they face is Jericho. And they had an overwhelming success as they followed God's battle plan right down to the minute details. And Jericho fell. They had a victory. But we talked last week on the heels of that great victory came their only recorded defeat in the book of Joshua when they, they, they went out from there and instead of, instead of seeking the Lord and following his plan and direction, they, they went off on their own. They went off, they went off self-confident and didn't seek the Lord, went out and went against this, this smaller town, the town of Ai. The spies that went and looked said, ah, we don't need to send everybody. Yeah, just send a couple thousand guys, Joshua, we should be fine. Joshua sends 3,000 troops, they go down, they get there, they come running with their tail between their legs because the, they, they're being defeated. They find out that it was because there was sin in the camp. One of, one of the men, Achan, had taken what God said do not take from the battle of Jericho and he hid it. And we talked about that, dealing with that, that sin and how, that overlooking, not going to the Lord and, and, and having the Lord reveal that to them and then going out and into that battle, that is where the defeat comes. Well, we get, that was in chapter 7. We, we come to, to chapter 8 and we're going to see in chapter 8, they go back and battle AI again. And in this, as we've talked, the the, the promised land for the Israelites is a beautiful picture for us of the victorious Christian life that the Lord desires for us to have. 
The, the promised land is not heaven, as we've talked and, and pointed out. There are battles. There are wars to fight. When we get to heaven, there's no more wars. It's all done. But in our life now, there are battles that we face. And there are, unfortunately, from time to time, battles that we lose. We're not, unfortunately, undefeated. We talked last week, we have the ability to be undefeated, but choices that we make, and we talked of the choices that Israel made in that, and we saw, we looked at that, but I want to look in chapter 8 tonight, how we bounce back from that, how we get back on track with, with our, this life that the Lord desires for us to have. And the first step, before we get to chapter 8, we look back to chapter 7, and we see at the end of that chapter, we need to deal with the sin in our life. We closed that out last week in our discussion. We need to deal with it decisively and completely. We need to not try to cover it up, not try to soften it, not try to change the severity of it. Sin is sin. And sin separates us from the power of the Lord. It, it's, it tells us in, in the Psalms, Isaiah records for us as well. It, it's not that God can't hear when, when we're crying, but there's a time when God says that I won't hear. I won't listen to what your, what your prayers because there is sin in your life. And just like as, as parents, as good parents should be, if, there is, if our children are disobedient, we don't reward that disobedience. We need to deal with that disobedience. If we continue to reward our children when they act disobediently, we're, we're, not, we're not teaching them anything. And the same thing with the Lord. We're not showing love to our children we show love to our children by disciplining them. And the same thing with the Lord with us. So we deal with that. We repent of our sin. It, 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 the psalmist asks, who can approach the throne of God? Well, those with clean hands and pure hearts. Well, that we can't do that our own. We need to repent of that sin. As jo John tells us, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so we need to deal with sin completely and decisively, and we see that at the end of chapter 7. When we move into chapter 8, and it says, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So after we deal with the sin in our life. After we, again, repent and we come back to the Lord, the first thing that we, I see in the outline that we need to do is seek the Lord and go back to the promises that he has made. Go back to the promises of his word. And here we see that, that as, the, as the Joshua speaks with the Lord, the Lord tells him, do not fear, do not be dismayed. I have given these people into your hands. Now, is this the first time God promised that to Joshua? No. If, turn back with me to chapter 1, the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. God's speaking to Joshua. Now, therefore, arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. 
God made this promise to them, and he reiterates that several, a couple more times as we go to even look into verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Again, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go, verse 9. I've given you the land. This is a promise that God made. Now, we have those same promises that we can live victoriously in this, in this life. But when, we, when sin gets in the way, as it did here, we repent, but we come back to those promises. And that's in, an important piece of, of the recovery thing. We have, to, we have to hear from the Lord. We have to go back to his promises. But it doesn't just, stop with, it doesn't just go with reading it. Look at verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. Not only do we need to read God's promises, take God's promises and own them, but we need to trust God in what he says for us and be patient. What do I mean, be, 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 be patient? Remember what Achan, what his sin was? God told them, do not take anything from Jericho. All the gold and everything that belonged, that goes into the treasury, but everything else gets destroyed. Achan saw some things, and he said, I want those. He coveted those things that God said, do not take. Because he was impatient, he said, I, I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what, the, what God is telling me to do. And he did that. That was his sin. Look at verse 2. When they get to Ai, you shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. What if Achan would have just waited a couple days? Instead of being disobedient, instead of saying, I know what I want for my life, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take it now. Instead of saying, you know what, God's got a plan. He might not give it all to me right now, but God's got a plan. If he would have waited, he could have, he could have taken there what God had, was saying, this is, I will give it to you here. Not here, but here. And a point. I know that there are probably not a lot of young men and women here, but I want to tell you, those that are, God has a plan for you. God has that perfect someone for you. Wait. Be patient. Don't, don't, the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I have met with many young people that say, I know the Bible says that I should not, should not do this. They're not a Christian, but I believe that God's telling me it's okay for me. No, he's not. No, he's not. You be patient. You be obedient to what God is telling you in his word. He has in store for you that person, that one, that right one. There's only pain and suffering when we step outside of God's clear will for us. When he says don't and we do, pain and suffering follows. But be patient. God has a plan. And so this is, again, how we get back on track. We, we, we stumble before because we disobey God's word, but this time we get back, we say, all right, God's word says this. This time I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be patient and move forward. Well, verse 3, it says, So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai, 
And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. So we repent of our sin, we recall God's promises, we trust in what he says, but then, a very key point, we move on. We move on. Notice it says, so Joshua rose and went forward. We need to move on. A part of our, one of our biggest problems, even as Christians deal with this regularly, I think maybe even Christians more so, is guilt from, from when we fall short. We know the standard that God has for us. When we fall short of that, we are grieved. We do repent. And when, but we need to leave it there. We need to move on. We can't carry that forward with us. We can't carry grief and shame forward with us. Jesus took our shame and our guilt to the cross. And we need to move on. God does. God has moved on. Look back to verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, they took care of the repentance. God's, God has moved on. <laughs> and so often we don't. We hold back. Oh, God could never use me because of this. God, God, God could, you know, because the enemy's talking in our ear. You really blew it. You're, out, you're, you're off the varsity team now. And we just keep, and, we get, and we, get, we get so hunkered down in that. God has moved on. When we repent, it says that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. God remembers our sin no more as we talked on Sunday in Hebrews. Our, our sin is gone, yet we hang on to it. We can't. We can't. We have to move on. As Paul said in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind... I reach forward to what lies ahead. The upward call of Christ for me in my life. That is what I reach for. I forget what lies behind. I say, well, I can't just... <laughs> gone. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that, that we, we lose the valuable lesson. We need to remember those times that we've stumbled before so that we don't fall back into it. That's not what it means by forgetting. Forgetting means it no longer affects my motion forward. I'm no longer chained to this shame and this, and this guilt. Jesus took that. So I forget that and I move forward with the call. So we need to, we need to move on. We can't, we can't get bogged down because, again, we have battles to fight. We're not done yet. But notice also in verse 3, another piece that's, that's important it says that, that Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. Now, back in chapter 7, it says that he sent 3,000 the first time. And we know why they lost. It wasn't because they only sent 3,000 men. We know that they lost because they, there was sin there. But the sin's been dealt with. So now he's sending 30 instead of 3,000 again. Is that a lack of faith? I don't think so. When I look at this, I'm seeing that, that Joshua says, we're going to make sure we have victory now. We are going to claim victory. We are going to pull out all of the stops and and in that, when we move forward, especially after failure in our life, we need to take others with us. We need to have accountability, people walking alongside us to hold us accountable, people coming alongside us to encourage us and to strengthen us along the way. 
We're not meant to go through this battle alone. We're not meant to fight this alone. And we know that the enemy's got is is out to destroy us. So let's make sure that we bring all of the resources that we have along with us. The word of God, the promises of God, but one another, praying for each other, continually sharing life together. That's why we make such a big deal about home fellowship groups and small group ministry here and, and fellowship after we have our Bible studies because we need to share life together. We need to fight these battles together, encouraging one another. Well, he goes on, verse 4, he commanded them saying, see you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all, but all of you be ready. Then I and all of the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out to meet us as they did at first, we will flee from before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from before us as at first, so we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained there between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, but Joseph spent the night among the people. Now Joshua rose in the early morning and mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. Then all the people of war who were with them went up and drew near and arrived in the front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai, And there was a valley between him and Ai. And verse 12, he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all in the army. It was on the north side of the city and the rear guard was on the west side of the city. And Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley. It came about, verse 14, when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out between Israel and to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. A lot of text there, but you can see that Joshua is planning out this this ambush. The first time that they went, they just went in marching all confident and cocky and and went marching right up to the city. And as we said, the the people of Ai came out to fight and they turned tail and went running. Joshua said, all right, here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to go around back behind and then we're going to walk up like we're going to fight them again. When they come out this time after us, we're going to turn and run like we did before. And they're going to chase us out, and then you guys come in from behind. Brilliant strategy, right? And they got this other 5,000 men that they've put on the other side between Bethel and Ai, just in case some of them tried to run to get help there. I mean, he's got the whole thing all planned out. Now, when I, when I, when I look at this, again, we see that they're planning on, and as we, as we look, again, here, it, it came about in verse 14, when the king of Ai saw it, the men hurried out of the city, just like they thought they would. Ai didn't change the battle plan. Why? Because it's worked. Do you know that Satan uses the same battle plan over and over and over again? He uses the same stuff 
Why? Because it works. Because it works. You know, but the silly thing is, we keep fighting the same way and losing. You know, you've heard the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. So often again, when it comes to battling sin, when it comes to battling Satan, bringing these, this, this stuff to us, we fight it the same way. We say, just, just don't. Stop it. Knock it off. How's that working for you? Right? In our own flesh and in our own strength, just, just buckle down and fight it off and just have victory in that, you know, in your own, in your own strength. Here, a little test for you, how, how well that works in our own strength. I want you right now, just kind of, just kind of cross out your, your memory right now. All, everybody had dinner, right? I don't want anybody in the room right now to think of a hot piece of caramel apple pie <laughs> with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream dripping down the side. Nobody think about that. Nobody at all. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I do. <laughs> because when we do this in our own strength, I'm just not going to do it. We fail. And the enemy knows that. So he keeps bringing the same thing after us again, and, and we keep trying to fight it the same way. But and if Joshua, if they'd have done it the same way, that would have been silly. They come with a different game plan. They come with a, a, a different way to combat this. So we need to come up with a different game plan. Guys, when the enemy through a television commercial or somebody that walks in front of your car and begins the lustful thoughts in your mind, whether that's your flesh or the enemy, here's, here, here's what we do. Instead of saying, just don't think about it, have a list of five guys that you will start immediately praying for that they remain pure and that they keep a covenant with their eyes. Start praying specifically by name for those men. The enemy's going to be... Every time I bring this in front of them, they're praying for five other guys. Right out of nowhere, just blindside them. Tell you what, he knows the power of prayer. He's going to stop it. <laughs> Do you deal with depression, thoughts of depression, feeling worthless and, and down? The enemy, again, is going to keep, you know, and, and, and you could... Continue just, just, you know, hey, think positive. Just think positive thoughts. How's it, 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 you know, we could, we could keep trying that, and the enemy will keep bringing those types of things. Or, you know what? We could start singing praise songs. Start singing. When you start feeling down, when you start feeling depressed, if you're dealing with those things, just start singing praise songs. The enemy hates that. Hates it. Hates it because he wants the praise. He wants the worship. But if we start praising and worshiping the Lord every time we start having thoughts of, of that, oh, different game plan. 
Condemnation. Again, we got to move forward. We can't stay anchored. We can't con- be condemned with certain things, but the enemy loves that. <laughs> Memorize Bible verses. Memorize scripture verses. Start with Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Quote it out loud. Again, he knows the power of the word. He hates it. Gossip. At the workplace. When you're meeting your friends for coffee or breakfast, and they start talking, hey, have you, have you heard about so-and-so? Immediately. You know what I have? And you start pouring in positive things. Positive things, good things about them. You know what that's going to do? First of all, it's going to make the one that wanted to spread the gossip look really silly to the rest of the people that are at the table. And it's going to be a way out for you and everybody else at the table because gossip is sin. And again, the enemy hates that. He was hoping that that one little piece of gossip would poison four people, but you took it and shoved it right back and different game plan. Different game plan. They set up an ambush here from behind the city. Joshua, verse 15, and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled away into the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So that not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Game plan works. It draws them all out. Just And the ambush is all set. And we're going to see the victory that comes from that. But does anybody notice something different about the game plan from what we studied last week at Jericho? I mean, it worked at Jericho to just march around the city a bunch of times and blow the trumpet. Why didn't they do that here? God had a different plan. I like that. God has individual plans for individuals. It's personal. He's going to deal with you differently than he deals with me. He's going to handle a situation with you different than he's going to handle it with you. That's, that's, oh, that's just so God. But did you notice something else that to me jumps right out as I'm going through this? The, one of the, the, I think the bigger difference in the plan is that at Jericho, God gave specific step-by-step instructions. I mean, right down to who does what, how many times, on what day, and at this moment, boom, 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 boom. Here, his instruction is back in verse 2. Set an ambush for the city behind it. All of the rest of it was Joshua's plan. Everything else that's laid out for us, the 300,000 men, this type of stuff, sending the 5,000 over here between I and Bethel, all of that stuff, that's all Joshua's plan. God just said, set an ambush. So we see in this that God's will, God's plan, sometimes he gives us all of the details. Other times he does not. And, and sometimes we can say, you know, I, because I'm not hearing all of the details, maybe I missed God's will. Maybe I missed God's plan. We can, we can say, you know, I blew it, you know, or whatever, that because I'm not hearing this. But I think one of the other things, and I, I just I want to 
for you note takers, got a little outline that I've been kind of working through here, but I think this is important because understanding God's will for our lives is huge. Would you agree? I mean, it's not a big mystery. I think that's one of the big misconceptions is God has this big mysterious plan for our life. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's just crazy. God wants us to know what it is. You know, there's, before we get into that, there's, it's important that we understand God's will from a total perspective. First of all, he has his prevailing will that, that there are certain things that are going to happen regardless. God, God's, God, God is in total control. He is a sovereign God. He knows the beginning from the end. We know that. We've talked about that. The Alpha and the Omega as we're studying Revelation. God does whatever he pleases. It tells us in Ephesians 1.11 that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. His predetermined prevailing will. Nothing can disturb that. Praise God. That means our, our future is secure because we know that. But in, in addition to God's prevailing will, he has a permissive will. A permissive will. That he desires certain things, but in his sovereignty, he gives us a free will. Now, I'm not going to spend time trying to dis describe that. We've had discussions about that before. But in God's sovereignty, he gives us a free will. He gives us the ability to choose. All of God's, the rest of God's creation does not have that choice. Dirt doesn't get to choose what it does. It's dirt. It does exactly what God created it to do. Rocks. It's all, it all does that. The moon. It does exactly what God created it to do. Flies, as disgusting as they are, they, hurt, they have a purpose, and they do exactly what God created them to do. They don't have a free will. We do. Unfortunately, often we, again, choose to go against what God's permissive will would allow us to do. But the one I want to focus on tonight is God's personal will, his personal will for us. He has a personal will for each and every one of us. And it's within that permissive will. He allows us to follow along. He allows us to do the things that he has predetermined for us to do, but he doesn't force us to do that. Just give you an example. Back in the, in the book of Acts, Philip doing some great ministry. God's really using him. But he calls him and he says, I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere doesn't tell him why, just go. And he goes and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And you can read the story, Acts chapter 8 later. But bottom line, he leads this Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And we, and we know through church history then that he goes on to Ethiopia and God, the gospel is spread. And it was because Philip was obedient to do that. What if Philip said no? What if he said, I don't want to? You know, I'm good here, ministry's good here, I don't want to do that. Would that have thwarted God's ultimate goal and his will to get the gospel to Ethiopia? No. He would have used somebody else. And Philip would have missed out on the blessing. And I guess that's the, the first thing that we need to understand. Nothing we can do can disrupt God's ultimate will. But he has a personal will for each one of us. Nothing 
nothing we do will have an effect on God's eternal will. However, everything we do will have an effect on us now and eternally. So again, it's important that we understand God's will for us. Wouldn't it be great if he would just tell us what his will is for us? Huh. Quick little Bible study. Note takers. First of all, he does tell us. First of all, his will is that we are saved. We are saved. John 6, 40. And I have this up on the screens here. John 6, 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who beholds the Son of God and believes in him will have eternal life. That's God's will, that we are saved. Paul, Paul tells us that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Peter echoes that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, God's will is that we are saved. Secondly, his will is that we are spirit-filled. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here we go. Understand it. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's God's will for you, that you are saved and that you are filled with the Spirit. Now that be filled, it literally in, in the Greek says be being filled, a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not about having the Holy Spirit. If you are a born again believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. This is being filled by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, what do you think of when you think of something being filled? Maybe a glass, glass of water. If a glass of water is filled with, with water to the very top and you bump into somebody, what happens? You gotta spill it all over them. When you bump into people, does the Holy Spirit spill out of you? I think of something else being filled, the sails of a ship. When the sails are filled with the wind, the wind dictates and directs where the ship goes. Same with the Holy Spirit, if we are filled with the Spirit. And that's God's desire for us. It's not a, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. How does it, what, is it, what does it look like? Well, if we continue to look at Ephesians 5 there in verses 19 and 20, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So there's some characteristics that happen when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that if, you, if we take that, those verses, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, and again, note takers, Colossians 3, 16. Put those next to each other. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you that all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Those two, they almost mirror each other. One says being filled with the Holy Spirit. The other one says the word of Christ richly dwelling in you. Coincidence? I think not. They go hand in hand. We are continually filled with the Holy Spirit as we, as we take in God's word. 
as we, as we let it richly dwell within us, not just reading it, but taking it in and consuming it and making it our lives. So we see God's will is that we are saved, that we are spirit-filled. Thirdly, that we are sanctified. Sanctified, that we are set apart. That we are set apart for God's exclusive use. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if God's word told us? It's telling us. This is God's will for you. Sanctified, set apart for his use. Well, how does that happen? Same way we just talked about. Jesus said, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. Here is how we are sanctified. Here is how we become more and more like Christ. Here is how we be, become, become those vessels that are set apart for his use. You ever notice how vulnerable you feel and are if you take a couple of days away from spending time in God's word? I mean, if you are a Bible student, if you are, if you are one that, that loves to spend time in God's word and, and you regularly are, are taking that in and you miss for a few days, am I, am I making this up? <laughs> you know it. You know it. It's that, it's, that, it's that strength that we have. Again, spirit-filled and sanctified, set apart. God's word. Well, fourthly, it's God's will that we are submissive. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submission, we are, we are to be submissive. Here specifically, it speaks to government. It goes on to speak of, of being submissive in work. It talks of, to be, that we are to be submissive to those placed over us in authority in numerous places. We are to be submissive in our home environments. We are to be submissive to one another. But overall, James 4, 7 says that we are to be submissive to God. We are to submit ourselves to God. Now that might sound like a no-brainer. I would imagine nobody would argue with that. However, again, just like always, does our life reflect that? Does our prayer reflect that? Are we submitting to God's will, or are we demanding God submit to ours? When you get up in the morning, when you say your prayers, are they more along the line of, listen, Lord, your servant speaks? Or... Speak, Lord, your servant listens. We are to be submissive to his will, to his will for our lives. And fully obedient, by the way. Again, if we're going to pick and choose those things that we're going to submit to, we can't expect God to reveal much to us. If, if we're not going to be obedient to the things that he's told us to do, why would he give us more? We need to be obedient to what he says through his word in all ways, but also those things that he speaks to us very personally about. If you are in a long, dry spell from hearing from the Lord specifically about something, 
pray this week that God would reveal to you that thing that you have neglected to do that he told you to do a long time ago. Because that might be what he's waiting for. So we are, his will is that we are saved, that we are spirit-filled, that we are sanctified, that we are submissive, and this one nobody likes, but that we suffer. It's God's will that we suffer. What do you mean? How, what kind of, kind of God would do that? Well, it says, 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And in that we understand, Jesus said, you will have tribulation in this world, but take heart, I've overcome this world. He said that he will never leave us or forsake us, so he will go through it with us, but we will face tribulation. We will face hardships. All those who desire to live godly lives will face persecution. And it's God's will that we do that not to punish us, not because he likes to see us suffer, but again, because he knows the process and he knows what comes out at the other end. James tells us that we are to what? Rejoice. Rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in our trials and our tribulations. Why? Because we're supposed to be just crazy? No, because in that it develops patience and perseverance and through that whole process we become complete and whole. God, again, sees the end of the process. That's why it's his desire that we go through it so that we can become that complete at the end. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite, favorite preachers, once said, the will of God will never take you where the power of God and the grace of God cannot enable and keep you. It will never happen. It will never happen. And actually, the, 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 the persecution that comes is a sign that we're in the will of God. It's one of those tests that we could do. If you're not facing something, if the enemy's not hitting you, another one of Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite quotes is, yes, if you're not button heads with the enemy on a regular basis, check it, you might be walking the same way he is. So, Got five things so far. One more, that it's God's will that we are satisfied. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we are satisfied, that we are thankful. Notice it says, rejoice sometimes. No, no. Always pray when it's convenient. No, without ceasing. In some things, give thanks. No, in everything, give thanks. This is God's will. In everything. Again, because we say when we give thanks, even in suffering, even in difficulty, when we give thanks, we're saying, God, I know you're in charge. I know you have a plan. I know that through all of this, you're, you're making me better and you're being glorified in it. Again, in this is that whole idea of being content. Content where God has me. Thankful. There's a, again, a huge difference. He says, rejoice always. That does not, he's not saying be happy 
all the time. It's a huge difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on our circumstances. If, if things are going well, two weeks ago, Broncos beaten the 49ers and the Chargers in one week, I was happy. Now, after being destroyed by the Patriots, not so much. Because of circumstances. But joy, on the other hand, has is that is that uh, that that thing that could that is only comes from being a Christian, only comes from being born again. You cannot have joy outside of Christ. And joy is that thing that cannot be taken away from you. It is that regardless of my circumstances, I have hope. I have joy, I have confidence, I have peace. That can never be taken away. That's why, again, Paul says we need to practice that. That's God's will for us. So it, 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 the Lord, in his word, it tells us this. But let's get real practical. Because when we look at our story back here in chapter 8, there's, there's a real practical thing here that takes place that we need to understand. Is Joshua in the will of God as he moves forward with the plans that he's made? Yes. Yes. But how if God didn't reveal step by step like he did at Jericho? Well, here's the, here's the key, guys. If you are saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffer, and satisfied, here's the last one. Do whatever you want. Serious? Do whatever you want. If you are saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering, and satisfied, who's controlling your thoughts? Who's guiding and leading and directing you? Whose will is being done? Yeah, yeah. So which job should I take? Pray about it, do those things, and then take the one you want. God's gonna be in that. God's gonna be in that. Make sure, again, as we're talking about that, 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 we're, that all of the things are in place. Don't think that we, I'm just saying, hey, just run out and do whatever you wanna do. no. Make sure everything else is lined up. But if those things are, go for it. Go for it. Well, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, now he's going to get specific again, tell him something to do. Joshua's here. All right, now what? Lord says, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai. For I will give it into your hands. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. The men in ambush rose quickly from their place. And when, they had, when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set it on fire. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, <laughs> behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky. Can you imagine? Oops. And they had no place to flee this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. 
Romans 8.28 comes to mind. Even the mistakes, even the sin that they had before, God used it together for good. He used it this time because he allowed the, the, those at AI, last time, they got cocky from the previous one, came out. God's glorified in it, even though, even though there was this sin before. We move forward, we take back the ground and look. Man, God, God, man, he's just so good. Verse 21, when Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. The others came out of the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field of the wilderness where they had pursued them, and all of them had, were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed, then all Israel turned back to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all of the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand from which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. He hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua gave the command. They took the body down from the tree and, and threw it in the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a heap of stones that stands to this day. Again, total Total defeat, total annihilation of the enemy, wiping it out. We could look at this from a human standpoint, and, and people say, How could you do, you know, how could a God command this? I remind you that again, God gave these people over 400 years to repent and turn, but they did not. More and more wicked, and more and, and more turning against God into pagan. The things that we've talked about that they did, sacrificing their children and all of this type of stuff, that, all of that stuff, they, they, were, they were ripe for judgment. And God is using the children of Israel to bring that judgment upon these people. We see here again that they are completely obedient to what God has, has said. And there is victory in that. Well, the last, the last point that I want to make on how we, how we get back on track in our, our study tonight, we, we see in the last few verses, beginning in verse 30, it says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All Israel with their elders and officials and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. Half of the men stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward, he read all of the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. 
There was not a word of the, all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. Now back in Deuteronomy 27, Moses commanded that when they get to the promised land, that they come to this place and do this very thing. There's a lot more detail in that. So again, if you want to do a little extra reading on this, you could read Deuteronomy 27. It goes into 28, that where they split up, the two, the six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on the other. One of the sides, they, they speak the, 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 the judgment that will come if they, if they break God's law. And they, they lay it all out, and it outlines it in detail again there. The other side is the blessing side as they do this. Now, I have a, a picture really quick you could put up. This is, this is that area. In, in Jerusalem, and you can see the natural amphitheaters that is there. From the top, if you were up towards the top where they would have been in this, there is about two miles across, but I've heard, I haven't been there to do this, I haven't been, been to this spot to do this, but you can talk in a normal voice and they can hear you on the other side because of the acoustics that are there. So you, can you just imagine that there's like a million people on one side, a million people on the other, and they're following this and they're, they're th this back and forth that is going on and how awesome that would have been and how intimidating that would have been to all of the others <laughs> that might have been around. Here, and in this, I guess, this final point that I want to make, after all of this, how we, again, come back to, we, we fellowship together and we give praise and glory to God. The Bible tells us that we are not to give up the gathering together, the meeting together. We are to get together regularly, singing his praises, reading his word, sharing together fellowship. Notice it says at the bottom, they read it before the entire the assembly, the women and the little ones. They weren't showing Veggie Tale movies to the kids. They were there. They were hearing the word of God. The strangers that they brought along, they were hearing the word of God. That's why we make such a huge emphasis in our children's ministry. When your kids are in children's ministry here, they are not being, you know, entertained while you're in church. They're having a good time, don't get me wrong, but they're learning the Word of God. I got to tell you, Eddie has such a vision for the children's ministry, it's exciting to be around. There's going to be some information coming in the next couple of weeks, but, but he's totally, he's got it all set and he's got the people excited about it. It's called Adventures in Truth. And he's got it all laid out. The, the vision that is for the children's ministry is, I'm so excited for this next chapter. But that's it. It's the word of God. It's the word of God in the children's ministry from the youngest all the way, all the way till they get through youth and come in here. It's all about the word of God, and it needs to be. And that's what is going on here. It says that they read the entire law of Moses. They, they wrote it out on, this, on this, these stones, that were this altar that was made. They, they, white, they put this, this mortar, if you would, on the stones, and they wrote it out that tells us that in, in Deuteronomy, writing out the word. Writing out the law. We see that in this victory and, and now back in, in, the, in, the, in the will of God, moving forward, some, some great, very practical things that we can take away from this. We need to repent. When there is sin in our life, we need to immediately f answer the conviction that is a, and repent and turn back. 
We need to seek the Lord then in his word as to what, what he would have for us, reminding ourselves of the promises of his word, trusting in him, being patient as we, as we wait on the Lord. We need to move on. Don't get stuck in the, in the guilt and in the grief of that. Move on. Reach forward to the upward call of Christ. Take others with you. Don't fight this battle alone. Change the game plan if needed, the battle plan. Know and do the will of God, and then don't forsake getting together. Coming together, worshiping. I love this place. I love hanging out with you. I love fellowshipping. I love all of this stuff because it, it, we, we strengthen each other. Iron sharpening iron, strengthening one another. I, I, I believe that's why you're all here. And, and that's, that's, that's God's will for us, that we continue to move forward in that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. And, and Lord, it does bless me to see so many of your, your children, or your family, getting together and to, to sing your praises, to, to hear your word, to study your word, to, to take away those very personal and practical applications from your word in our lives, but Lord, also the time of fellowship, the time to just see how each other is doing and, and praying for each other and, and carrying one another's burdens as we go. Lord, that's your desire for us. And it's, it, is, it, it blesses us, Lord, when we are in your will. So Lord, we ask that you would just reveal that to us, go before us, strengthen us. Lord, we have, we have a couple days left in this week. Before the weekend comes, we, we're going back to work tomorrow. we got different things going on. We have different appointments, Lord, that you have set for us, and it's our desire to be used by you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.